0: We're going to read this passage of Scripture, and it's printed in your bulletin. It's from Acts chapter 2, and I, the book of church order, which kind of governs our, the way we do things in our denomination, it doesn't teach us the gospel, but it does uh, help us ministers kind of know what to do. It admonishes the ministers to, uh, whenever a child is baptized, uh, to say a few words about why uh, we do that. Why do we baptize in general? What is baptism? And why do we do it to our children and for our children? And so uh, I'm going to spend some time doing that this morning briefly. That's going to be our sermon for today, and the next week we'll return back to Genesis. But the way that Genesis uh, figures into this, you're going to see in a moment. So in your bulletin is the passage. Uh, You can read it in your Bible, but I've cut out some verses just for time, so it might be easier to read it in there. Now hear God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams." Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and in the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, God was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is a very famous passage of scripture. And what has happened is they... Uh, 120 disciples are sitting in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes down with these flames of fire and they begin speaking in other tongues in glossolalia. And they come out into the streets and they're doing this ecstatic speaking of tongues and the people that are there in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost hear them And can't believe what's going on, and they ask, "What is going on? Are they drunk, or were they crazy? What is this?" And Peter explains to them exactly what has happened. And in verse eleven, they are hearing the gospel, the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own language. So these. Tongues were not just gibber jabber They were languages that everybody there would understand because at Pentecost, there were people there from all over the world, all over from the known world, and they all were different languages. Some were proselytes, some were Jews, some were others just curious about Jerusalem, or maybe they were there to a merchant and be, make some money. But they could hear these people speaking in tongues. And what we see is that Peter announces the inauguration at the day of Pentecost. He announces the inauguration of the kingdom of God and he announces the the last days. He says we are in the last days and he uses this long excerpt from uh, the book of Joel, the prophet Joel to explain this is what we're seeing right now, this Your young men seeing visions, your old men dreaming dreams, and this prophecy being spoken by men and women and servants and everyone is proclaiming the Word of God. And then Peter presents, and this is stunning. I don't know if you've read this, but I'm going to run through it quickly. A stunning presentation of the gospel from 22 to 36. Listen to what he does. And you can look at it if you want. Maybe make an odor here too. But th- this is stunning. Listen. First thing he says, Jesus is the king who God authenticated by his miracles, his wonders, and works. That's in verse 22. Then he says, Jesus is the king who died for his people on the cross. Verse 23. Jesus is the king who was raised from the dead, who defeats hell and death and the grave. Verses 24 through 32. Jesus is the king who is exalted and seated at the right hand of God. Verse 33, the first part. Jesus is the king who pours out his promised Holy Spirit on all flesh with this amazing sign. This sign of tongues. Verse 33, the second half. And finally, he declares this in the face of Rome and everybody else throughout the ages of history. He says, Jesus Christ is Lord, King, Messiah, Mashiach. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And from that preaching of the word and the sign of tongues. Many of you may wonder what is tongues all about? Tongues is nothing more than a reversal of the curse of Babel. And where Babel was a scattering of people across the face of the earth, they no longer could speak in the same language and people were divided and still are till this day even though my iPhone will translate what I say into whatever language I want. It's still... A division that we almost cannot overcome. Our culture, our language. We are separated. And this signals the last days has come. They're hearing the gospel proclaimed in their language to the world. It's a sign. It's pointing to something. Babel is being reversed. Jesus the great king is going to bring everyone to his throne. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Magnificent. Unbelievable, a fisherman. In verse 37, you see that the promised conviction of the Holy Spirit falls on this group of thousands of men and women and people. They were cut to the heart and they cried out to the apostles who were all standing in a group, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? We see that Jesus has ushered in these last days. We know from reading our Old Testament that blood, fire, and vapor of smoke is going to envelop this earth. Starting today, there's going to be a war of cosmic proportions between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And He is our King who has come and destroyed death, hell, and the grave. And therefore, we are to march out and take the world with the gospel of grace and peace. Not by militants, not by weapons, not by warfare, but by love and kindness and grace. What must we do? And Peter issues a command. This is not uh, a request. It's not a suggestion. He commands, repent and be baptized, every one of you for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive Gift of Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit just like you see coming on us, just like you see this this sign, Holy Spirit will come on you. And then he gives the rationale. Now listen. He gives the rationale. Why do we baptize our babies? Why do we include them in this? And I'm going to say to the, the whole culture, particularly in America, now if you statistically 85% of Christians baptize their children globally and always have. Only in certain areas do we only baptize adults. In the PCA, we baptize children and adults, children of believing parents and adults who come to faith in Christ. We do both. But it's been said, all the Bible doesn't teach. Baptism of children. And I'm going to tell you very boldly, not only does it teach it, it commands it. Not only does it command it, it does it in so many places in Scripture that I could not fit them onto... I had five or six pages of sermon notes, but I knew you couldn't bear it. So I'm only going to give you... I'm only going to skim the surface. But it is so clear, the Bible commands that we baptize our children. It's not an option. If you believe in Jesus, you must baptize your children. Now, I know people don't agree. Some don't. And we respect that. And I'm going to prove that they're wrong. No, that's not true. One of my best friends is... Where's Luke? He's hiding over here. (laughs) Okay. It's a little tongue-in-cheek, but not completely. He commands them to repent and baptize. And then he gives his rationale. That's in verse 39. Why be baptized? Why baptize? Because the promise the promise of holy spirit the promise of god's special presence the promise that he will carve you out of all humanity and say you are mine that promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, those are all the scattered people of the world that now that that the sign of tongues has come, we're going to gather them back in. We're going to get the gospel out there in every language. Do you know in Islam you cannot translate the Bible? It's against the law. Now they do it and they make reasons for it, but the only authentic version is English. So if you want to read... The Quran, and you want to do it the way it's supposed to be read. You have got to read it in Arabic, and a certain kind of Arabic. Now, Scott Warman's here. He's a, one of the leaders of Gideons in El Paso. He'll tell you that we have got the Bible translated into almost every known language, and distributed all over the world, because the not, the Gospel is not limited to just you know, Western people or people over there or over here. It's for everybody in the whole world. And this is what tongues was saying. It's saying everybody's coming in. And then he addresses the Jews and it says they were mostly Jews in the audience and they were from all over the region. This promise of Holy Spirit is to you and your children. Where is he getting it? Where is he getting that? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go very quickly and I want you to try to keep up But if you see how the preponderance of biblical uh, imperatives to include your children in the covenant of grace, to include them, to number them among the elect is a command, not a suggestion. So we're going to look at this very quickly. What is baptism? Why do we baptize? And when I say, why do we baptize? We agree with our Baptistic uh, brothers and sisters on the other end of this, wherever they just baptize adults only or those that are coming with profession of faith. uh, We agree. Anybody that comes to faith in Christ should be baptized. But it in no way excludes our children. And I'm going to make the case and then you can disagree with me, but not today. We're busy today. Lots of stuff going on, so... Uh, You can come to theology class tomorrow night. We can argue. I have daggers. We can draw the daggers. All right. What is baptism? Why do we baptize? Why do we baptize our children? And finally, what promise could Peter possibly be referring to? He didn't just pick it out of the air. He was making reference to a specific promise. And he was commanding them to obey this promise. Okay, why do we baptize? Very quickly. And we all agree on this. Everybody, no matter what denomination, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Baptist, Presbyterian, and everything in between, we all, why do we baptize? Because it's commanded. And why do we use baptism? Because baptism, everybody agrees, is a sign and a seal. It is pointing to something. It is a sign of something. And I can't go into all the things that it is a sign of, but one of the things it's a sign of is a sign of cleansing, a sign of washing away of sins, a sign sign of circumcision, a sign of being cut off from the world, the impurity of the world, and made clean. It's a sign of death, being buried. It's a sign of life. Being anointed by the Holy Spirit, all the Old Testament cognates for Holy Spirit involves sprinkling or pouring, uh, all of them. You can't find one that's not about that and the reason why we sprinkle or pour in our church. Now if somebody has scruples and they said, I just got to be uh, uh, immersed, I would find a way to immerse them. It's not about how you do it, it's about that you do it. It's a sign and a seal. In other words, it's pointing to something. That's the sign. Sign out here says Christ the King. But that's not Christ the King. This isn't even Christ the King. Right? You are Christ the King. So when you leave here, Christ the King goes with you. And the building just remains. So what is it? And why do we do it? We baptize because it's a command. What is baptism? Let me give it to you. It's a sign and a seal. Here's from our our shorter catechism. This is the children's catechism answer. Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit signifies and seals. It signs and seals certain things. One, our engrafting into Christ, our partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace, and our engagement to be the Lord. The promise. So the promise is a sign. It's a sign and a seal. So it's it's pointing to something. But it is also promising something. That's what a seal is. It's like a notary. Stamp it. That authenticates it. And the seal was God's word. And the sign in the Old Testament was circumcision. And the sign and seal of it in the New Testament is baptism. It's more inclusive. It includes Uh, women, uh, uh, females and males, uh, young and old. Everybody is included now in the sign where before it was restricted to men only. Now, why do we baptize our children? So what is it? Well, it's a sign and a seal. Everybody agrees on that. And why do we do it? Because it's commanded. And why do we baptize our children? Instead of it just being something that we just do because of tradition, I'm going to show you a preponderance of scriptures, and these are just a few that point directly to why we include our children in the sign and seal of the covenant. Why we put them in with us. Even though it didn't regenerate, Killian was not regenerated this morning. I mean, he's a he's darling. I have a suspicion he's already regenerate. don't you? Did you see that smile? That could only come from a Christian baby. I mean we don't know when God chooses to regenerate somebody. You don't even know when it happened to you. You may think you know, so well I accepted Jesus when I was 12 years old at summer camp. You know maybe that po- point in time was re- I'm not going to I know when I knelt at my bed and a- asked Jesus to come into my heart. But the more I look at it, the more I see of my life, the older I get and I'm getting older every day. The more I see, the more I see His hand at work in my life back to the beginning, even when I was a little, little boy. I know He was at work. Why do we baptize our children? And the reason, the ground He gives us, verse 39, the promise of Scripture includes our children in this covenant of grace. Now you can dedicate a baby in some of denominations. That's what they do. The pressure on a parent to do something with their child. They know they got to do something. So let's come up with something that's not scriptural. Let's baptize or let's uh, uh, dedicate our children. Now there's nothing wrong with dedicating. But that's not taught any more explicitly in scripture than baptizing children. Both are inferred. We all know that we need to do something with our kids. And so parents will dedicate, bring their children to the Lord and present those little ones to the Lord. All good, all great. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying and the case I'm making to you is that baptism is completely on another level. It is not dedication on steroids plus water. That's not what we do. When you dedicate your child, when a parent dedicates its child, you can dedicate your voice, you can dedicate your car, you can dedicate your money, you can dedicate anything that belongs to you, you can dedicate. But when you baptize, you are not saying anything to God. God is saying something to you. He is signing and sealing something to us. It's a sacrament It is weighty. It is mysterious. Sacramentum is mystery. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he communicates his grace to Killian or to me. I was baptized as an infant as well in the Eastern Orthodox Church. I was dunked three times violently. Have you seen those videos? Chris wanted me to do that to Killian. And I told him he wouldn't fit in our font or I would. The point is, God is in baptism it is different. Yes, Jamie and Chris took vows to raise this child and to entrust his life to God's sovereign grace. That's all true. But more importantly, God is saying something to us. That's what a sign and a seal is. And that is what I'm going to give you now. And I want you to listen. The promises to you and your children. What promise is he talking about? What would those Jews have thought of the minute he said the promise? You know why they would have thought of this? Because it comes straight from Genesis 12, 1, from Genesis 15, and from Genesis 17. Same words. Peter didn't pull this out of nowhere. He went to the Old Testament and gave the grounds for why we should baptize our baby and commanded that we do it. And here's where it is. Listen, I'm just going to read them to you because we don't have a lot of time. Go to the land I will show you. God appears to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. You will be blessed. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And in you, listen, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you see verse 39? All who are far off, everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. It's a direct quotation. Then chapter 15, which some theologians, I agree, Dr. Sproul said this is the greatest chapter in the Bible, and verse 6 is the greatest verse in the Bible, or verse 3. Anyway, look toward the heavens. Or verse 6, sorry. And number the stars, if you're able. He comes to Abraham and he makes this covenant again with Abraham another time. If you're able, so shall your offspring be. Yes, he's talking about the offspring of Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, and all the rest. Yes. But don't forget, he also said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. All the people of the world will be blessed, and their children. And then in chapter 17, listen carefully. I know it's going to be a little long, but pay attention. I'm hoping y'all drank enough coffee. Abraham was 90. This is verse uh, chapter 17, 12, 15, 17. Three three reiterations of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared. I am God Almighty. Walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and multiply you greatly. Abraham fell on his feet, and God said, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but Abraham. I have made you father of multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. Make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. Now, he didn't have any kids yet. Well, he had Ishmael, but he didn't have Isaac yet. Listen to how many times he says, Offspring, offspring. And listen to what he says about the offspring. Throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, I will be a God to you and to your offspring. That's what he said to this couple this morning. I'll be a God to you and your children. How do you make that? How do you signify that? How do you show that? Not by dedicating. By circumcising. And we didn't circumcise Him. We used water to mark Him. The way they would have in the Old Testament. To be a God to you and your offspring after you. This is my covenant. Here you go. You shall keep it between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male shall be circumcised. It should be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male eight days old throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner. Wow. Mind blowing. Who is not your offspring? both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, you shall surely circumcise them. And we see this in three or four places in the New Testament with Lydia, with Cornelius, uh, with the Philippian jailer where they were baptized and their entire oikos, their whole household. It didn't say anything about whether they believed or not, but they belonged to the patriarch of that family and therefore they had to be baptized. It was not a suggestion, it was a command so shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised shall be cut off. In other words, if you're not part of this community, you will be cut off. There will be judgment against you. You understand? To not be marked, to not be numbered among God's people is to be what? It's to be lost. It's to be unsaved. And judgment is what happens to those that are cut off or circumcised. Cut off. There's that whole thing. But I just told you that circumcision is not the thing. It's just a sign. And baptism is not the thing. It's just a sign it's just a seal. It's a promise. It's God saying to us, here's the proof and here's the promise. But both of them are pointing to something else. They are not the reality in and of themselves. This is where we differ from our Catholic and Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters and even some others in Protestantism. We do not believe that the sign, that the, that the actual baptism or circumcision is the thing itself. We believe it's pointing to something else. Why do we do that? Do we just make it up? No. Here's why. And I'll give you some scriptures to show you. I'm never, I've never left the scriptures yet. Deuteronomy 36, Lord, the Lord your God. He's talking to the people of Israel who have already been circumcised. God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and that you may live. Isaiah 44, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. Isaiah 59, my spirit, my word shall not depart from your offspring and your offspring's offspring. And in the case of my mom and dad, offspring's offspring offspring. They have great-grandchildren. How old are you all? How old am I? There's the basis circumcision, baptism, they are signs and seals. They're pointing to something else the heart. And in an adult, it's the heart consecrated to God. And in a child, it's the parents saying, My child is yours. Yes, dedication. But it's because you're saying something to me. You're saying to me, I want your child, I want your offspring. I don't want them left out and pretend that they're not anything, that they're just unconverted sinners until sometime in the future they decide to accept me. You don't let your children do that with whether or not they steal. You don't let them decide for themselves. You step in, you mark them, you guide them, you tell your children from the time they were little, you're, you're an Isaac or you're a Smith or you're a Jones or you're a Martinez or whatever. We are we are You give them an identity that they can put deep roots down into and this is why we baptize our babies because the scripture commands us to include them and not exclude them. Listen to Matthew Henry. I'll finish with this. This great commentator from centuries ago Unparalleled, I think, in in Christianity, of just beautiful uh, uh, explanation of Scripture. Listen to what he says. He's talking about this passage, and he's talking about the people that Peter was addressing. And he says, Peter was saying this. Now I'm going to quote Matthew Henry Take Jesus for your king. And by baptism, swear allegiance to him, take him for your prophet, and hear him, take him for your priest to make atonement for you take him for for your for your uh uh your your king so that he will defend you, take them receive the gift of holy spirit sealed by the holy Spirit of promise, and your children shall have listen. Your children shall have, as they always have had, an interest or a part of the covenant. Your children are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ by virtue of God's promise to them and to us and our offspring. Come to Christ to receive those inestimable benefits for the promise of remission of sins, the gift of Holy Spirit, is to you and your children. When God took Abraham into the covenant, still Matthew, Henry, He said, I will be a God to you and your children. And accordingly, every Israelite had his son circumcised at eight days old. Now, now it is by baptism that we come into a new administration of this covenant, no more circumcision, but now baptism. And we ask, what must be done with my children? Everybody knows, you've got to do something with them, you can't just leave them out. What must be done with our children? Must they be thrown out or set aside or taken in with me are we going to set them aside and say they're little unconverted that they don't have any part in the covenant of grace until they decide they want to be in the covenant of grace or are they going to be taken in with me any israelite would have asked that question immediately what of my children anybody in the rest of the world would ask that Except in individualistic cultures where it's all up to you, you have a, you decide what happens, you're the God of the world and of your own life. And I'm saying no. I'm saying God has something to say to us. He said, "Your children are mine, you're mine, and I want them in this covenant. And I will regenerate them when I choose. I will bring them to faith when I choose maybe at the moment of baptism, maybe while they were in the mother's womb, maybe when they were 18 years old uh, uh, kneeling by the side of a bed, that was my story, kneeling by the side of a bed with a gun and, and, a, and, a, and a pamphlet about Jesus and a decision. Which am I going to take? The gun or Jesus? And I didn't say yes to him. I'll make no illusions about that. He said yes to me. What must be done with my children? Must they be thrown out or taken in? Taken in, Peter says, by all means for the promise and that great mystery of God's being to you, a God, is as much to you and your children now as it ever was. And then Paul picks this up in many places. I'll just give you one. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. Paul is referring to the spirit of God coming upon us. To be an Abraham is to be a child of Abraham. An heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. The promises were made to the seed. Singular, Paul said, one—the seed, Christ, the offspring, one, Christ, and all who are in Him. And all we do in baptism, folks, is we take that promise seriously, and we come and we before in, in a beautiful ritual of an invisible pouring out, an invisible circumcision an invisible marking of that child that no one will ever see again, ever. But Killian will have that mark in him as real and as, as ready to see visually as a circumcised man. To God, he will see it and he will say, He's mine. And Jamie and Chris can go their whole life with the insurance that they don't have to talk Killian into the kingdom of God. God will convert him. Their responsibility is to raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, just like he does you and your children or me. Christ was made a curse for us and for our children, for all of us. How does that happen? And what is the very ground level of this promise? Baptism is an expression of circumcision and circumcision was an expression of being cut off. Cut off. Separated. Cast outside. Not part of God's people. Not part of the the community of God's people. Being cut off was to be thrown outside of Jerusalem where you didn't have any part of the covenant. Separated. Separated. And on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah said, He was cut off. same word. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, He was stricken. Who was cut off for us? Jesus Christ, who bore the curse for us? Jesus Christ, who are His people? You and your children by the authority of God's very word let no one say we baptize because it's not in scripture. We baptize our babies because it's commanded and it's in scripture and it's in dozens of places. And let us embrace that. You know, if your, children's go off the ra- if your kids go off the rails and they go far from it. I've had, I had a mother come to me years ago at Christ the King when we were in the other building and she was weeping because her kids were teenagers and they had really gone off the rails. And she said, what am I going to do, Chuck? I said, you know, you, every night before you close your eyes, the last thing you say to God, you promised. Hunt them down. See, there's no Arminians in the world when you're praying for somebody to come to salvation. Everybody prays like a good old Calvinist. Go in there and get them, Lord. Save them. Do whatever you have to do. Well, what are you asking him to do? I said every night, close your eyes. And I told her, when you're on your deathbed, when you're on your deathbed and you're gasping out your last breath, Let it be. You promised. Because His promise is a seal. It's it's for sure. It's authentic. We are His people. You and your children. We say yes to Him only, only because His promise is good and faithful and true. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him for your children? No matter where they are, where they are, you promised. I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, um, we love our kids. Sometimes our hearts break. And I know that there are many of us who we don't know why our kids make the choices they do. We can raise them up in the best ways possible and they still make bad choices but you promised. The promise was to us and to our children. And so we believe, Father, that that promise has been signed and sealed to us and we ask you to make it good in their life. At some point, we can't talk them into it, but you can. You brought us. You saved us. We ask you to save them as well. Please, Father. We ask you to do it in Christ's name. Amen.